When is a double standard okay? When I cheat at Monopoly. <laughs> but it's not fair if somebody else but does. But it's not all right if you do. <laughs> <laughs> this is the Anything But Quiet Time podcast. It's the we only are, way that makes the game go faster. Of course. Of cheating or just, or, or finally you're just done and you just give away your money to people. My brother was conveniently the banker a lot of the times when we were kids playing. And, How convenient. Oh, how did that money just somehow make it into your That's so bag? weird. I Somehow, your <laughs> money was used to buy me Park Place. I don't know how that <laughs> happened. Uh, no, so we go over, this is a podcast we do weekly to go over what we go through spiritually. And this is an interesting conversation that we had. Uh, HopeOnDemand.com, by the way, if, if you found this podcast elsewhere, you can check that out for a wealth of resources for hope. And it's when we hold somebody to a standard, mm-hmm that um, we really shouldn't. I have discovered in being married that if my husband were to say some of the things that I share to him, with him, uh-huh. I would maybe be hurt. Sure. But he has made it clear I'm okay when you say those things to me, but I know that I should not say them to you. Here's a silly example. Because okay. this is my wife's, this is, has been me and my wife's biggest fight over going on nine years of marriage. Mm-hmm. And it's when I, as as especially early on in the marriage and dating, especially, I was all about this. And now it, I see how silly it can be. So let's say um, she, well, this is actually true. She hates surprises. Okay. She doesn't like to be surprised. <laughs> oh, I know that's true. You have tried to surprise her. So it, it's <laughs> where she would then surprise me for my birthday. And you like surprises. And I'm, I'm whatever. But what I get enraged at or used to, especially, how dare you sit here and surprise me? Of all people, you hate surprises. You're going to sit there and do something that you hate. Now, again, this is a silly example. Yeah. Because sometimes it has to do with, you know, the frustrations of daily household work or or parenting. But you hate this and you're going to do this. And then what she says to me is, but you don't hate it. Yeah. And I go... And for example, the surprises. Yeah, I guess I kind of like surprises. And then she goes, why are you mad? <laughs> well, because I was only mad because you would have been mad. So you're gauging this against the standard that you have for yourself. Well, really, I'm gauging it against the standard I have for her than for I, her. instead of myself. Yeah, I know that's true. And yeah. so uh, I think it led to a great conversation of, I, I'll never forget what uh, Dr. Michael Smalley shared with us once. He's a, a counselor and therapist and pastor. And he said, it's not a courtroom in a relationship. (laughs) Don't sit here and try to figure out who's right and who's wrong legally. It should be serving one another, especially in marriage, and loving each other. And so the fact that, okay, my wife treats me, and then she'll joke about it. I say, that's a double standard. She's like, yeah, it is. Do you ever do the stenographer thing? Let's check the notes. Will you read it back to the court? There is a Black Mirror episode, which I don't (laughs) recommend that show necessarily, all the episodes. But there is one where in the future... Mm -hmm. They're able to record. It's like TiVo for their mind. Okay. And they're able to record every moment of ever that they've experienced, and then throw it back up on the screen. Nope. From last Thursday. Bad or idea. Last year, and go, let's see what actually happened, huh? And I, I said, me and my wife were watching this, and I said that would be, and we both at the same time went terrible. That would not go good. <laughs> Record of wrongs. <laughs> you said, well, I don't. Let's see. Let's check the footage. Oh my goodness. Roll that beautiful bean footage. I'm not gonna lie. The other day. I was so frustrated. I I couldn't even tell you what it was about, but I do have it recorded on my phone because my husband and I have had this conversation over and over again about whatever it was. Uh 
And I said, Sammy, we have talked about this. I have told you, I do not like, I think it was food. It's always food, isn't it? Uh-huh. Where do you want to go? Anywhere's fine. I don't like this restaurant. <laughs> yeah. And I told him before, I don't like this place. And he's like, but you've always said that you like this. No, I have never. Uh-huh. It's the exact opposite of what you're saying. I have never liked this place. I'm going to record it on video so that we have this as evidence. <laughs> and I did. And then did you use it yet in real life? I, I've Every time I go through my photos just to look at memories and stuff, I see it there and I just very quickly go over it because I am annoyed with how petty, <laughs> with how petty it is. But it led, it led us to a conversation of treat each person, whether marriage or not, mm-hmm. you know, a coworker, neighbor, whatever. Oh my word, I found it. Treat each person as the unique individual that they are. It's to be said that on October the 24th, 2021, I like Schlatsky's and Firehouse. I don't like Jimmy John's. Don't ask me about Jersey Mike's. About Subway. No. Subway. Subway yeah. is watery ingredients and I don't like it. They've got tuna noodle water or whatever it's called. Okay. That's right. So now you know that your sub places. I'll remember that. That's really sad. I'm glad I recorded it because I couldn't even remember. Yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, no, that's it's just it's great to realize because obviously we want to treat people the way that we want to be treated. Yes. But when it comes to their likes and interests, I should the more I get to know somebody, treat them the way that, th- that they want to be treated. Like yes. the perfect example is when we've done gifts. You know, we've had the gifts conversation. Yes. At Christmas time or their birthday, you could get them what they want or you could get them what you want mm-hmm. them to have. Yeah. And a lot of times it's two different things. But I will I will say this. If you find out that the person that you are with has a certain love language, and even if you are not communicative in that way. So let's say they um, their love language is gift giving. And that's not your thing. Yeah. But you know that it's theirs. And they go out of their way to get you something. And maybe it isn't what you would want. You can be the bigger, quote, bigger person and and make sure that you acknowledge, hey, I I appreciate the way that you that you love me this Christmas. Thank you for mm-hmm. sharing that gift with me. Sure. I think that would be so valued to them because that is literally the way they show love. I've had to recognize that in family members. Like I may not get a word of affirmation, which I'm discovering more and more is one of my love language, one of my strongest mm-hmm. love languages. Yeah. But they're giving me a gift. Okay, this is how they are choosing to connect. Sure. And they may never give me a word of affirmation, which is my form of love language. But I can show them love back. Yeah. By affirming their gift. There you go. There you go. So, and and yeah. working with how each other operate. Exactly. Uh, so, again, thank you for hanging with us. That is it for this week. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but that was a, a fun conversation and, and very interesting. And especially we, if you have any feedback, definitely let us know anytime if yeah. you've had this conversation or something like it with uh, with your loved one. Uh, Rochelle, you are going through the story of Moses, correct? It's still in Moses. And I've, I've shared this in the past, and I do want to do some correcting. For anybody who's counting, if, for anybody who's keeping a record of wrongs, I'm not perfect <laughs> with Bible stuff. And I'm still learning every single day. So I have, I have heard the Pentateuch attributed to Moses as author a lot of my life, but recently have discovered, no, he he's been credited with much of it. He did a lot of the writings for it. And what is that? The Pentateuch is the first five books of the Bible. Okay. It's the first five books of the Old Testament. Um, it's it's a collection. I've heard to, I've heard it referred to almost as a museum of stories. These are things that were passed along from generation to generation. 
So in, in learning who Moses is and discovering these stories, I'll tell you, Moses is one of those guys. He is a sympathetic character. You talk about ever going on a road trip with your kids in the backseat before the invention of having an iPad or anything to keep them busy. <laughs> that is what happens in the wilderness with these Israelites yeah. for 40 years, you know, times a bajillion what, took, what takes place in our cars on our road trips. Yeah. Are we there yet? Oh, my word. The complaining. <laughs> the eye rolling that must have taken place. And, you know, you talk about love language. God is the inventor of love. And he loves, he loves on all fronts the way that we express our love to him. Gift giving, sure. Sacrifice, that's talked about in the Pentateuch. Um, talk about words of affirmation. He loves our praise. You know what he loves, I think probably the main one is really hit upon all throughout scripture. The the verse that I'm thinking of immediately is um, our sacrifice, uh, not our sacrifice, but our obedience. Mm, yeah. Our respect is something that I think he truly craves. And so there's this moment where after Moses has endured the griping from the backseat through the 40 years of wilderness travels, um, and boy, have they endured some stuff. I'm like, I'm skipping over so many things, including there's some crazy wild stories in there, which there is this fascinating connection. I'll make it really fast. There's this one point where complaining takes place and God's like, you know what? That's it. He sends a bunch of poisonous snakes into camp. They start biting people. People are dying. And Moses is told, all right, you know what you're going to do? You're going to hammer out a bronze snake, basically an idol, put it on this cross, lift it up. Anybody who looks at the very judgment which I have judged them with, will be saved. It's this really strange story. Hmm. And I recently heard uh, it referenced as Jesus picks up on the story and he talks about it because it's like this really weird, why would he tell them to make an idol? Mm -hmm. They're not to worship the idol, but to look at it. Yeah, I want you to look upon your judgment. This is the very thing that's biting you right now. But you'll be saved if you do. You won't die from the sting, You uh, from the bite. And Jesus picks up on this story and he references it just like Moses lifted the serpent up on um, the staff. So the son of man will be lifted up and he's talking about his death on the cross. Mm. And it's literally Jesus is, this is our judgment. And if we look to the cross, we are saved. Mm. Our judgment is death. And yet by the grace of God, we're saved. I think that's just beautiful. Yeah. But, um, Moses is this guy who has endured quite a bit and they're complaining once again, the Israelites in the backseat of the car and he and his brother Aaron, they've dealt, they've dealt in fact, harshly, not just with the people, but Aaron himself, his two, he had four sons at the beginning of the story at, you know, before he passes away, his, he's got two sons because mm. two of them, apparently they administer fire in, in a wrong way at uh, the tabernacle. They do something wrong. They're not obedient in the instructions God gives them. It's very precise. It feels kind of harsh. It almost is like, did they intentionally mean to? We don't know the heart of God. I love that. Uh, I love what you said the other day. It's like when you read these harsh things in Scripture, God relocates his people. So we see it as death and immediately are like, well, they're no longer here. Right. Yeah. Well, in scripture, it also says uh, to be absent from the body is to be present with God. So is he relocating those people? And even though it feels harsh to us here on this planet, 
are they immediately in a place though that is is harsh or is it just well certainly with some of those stories i think that's possible absolutely you know but when we talk about other uh you know situations where it was godly people in the bible or people Mm -hmm. that we know that uh their life was short yeah uh, to to view it as not the end but even a beginning because they're in a different place and then you also spec you're allowed to speculate about how when jesus redeemed those who were already quote lost right and he takes back the keys and frees them after he redeems us through the power of the cross and when he resurrects. So there's all these these wonderful things. But just to to why am I bringing it up? It's because Aaron and, and Moses are tired. They are weary and worn for decades of these nonsense people. Yeah. Duh! You know, <laughs> and there's this point where Thursday. We should be back in Egypt, which was like a popular line. Apparently, every couple of weeks or so, it'd be pulled out of the old. Pat, let's say this again. Is that where the angry church lady voice came from? Was was was, was yeah. this time period? There's this thing that happens though when they get thirsty and they said, "Let's talk to God about it." And God says, "Speak to the rock. Water will come out. It will be provided, and we'll go from there." Moses and Aaron they go to this rock and they tell the people in their frustration, "Here." Mm-hmm. We have to get you water. And they bang on the rock twice with the staff. Uh-huh. And water comes out of the rock. And this has happened once before. Um, I'm talking about a passage right now in Numbers. This is the one I'm referencing um, from the book of Numbers, but it happened in Exodus as well. You see that he takes the staff, hits the rock, water comes out of the rock, right? But in this case, what did God say to Moses and Aaron? He said to speak to the rock. They didn't. They banged on the rock with the stick. Uh huh. Uh huh. And it's at this point where God says, "Yeah, you know what? You didn't show the respect I was looking for. This was not the obedience I was looking for. This was not the faith I'm looking for. You did not show faith." It's kind of ambiguous as to was it in that instance that he didn't. I mean, you could pick up on the fact that he didn't fully obey because he says, "Please speak to the rock." And he doesn't. And so there are all throughout these five books, you will see repeats of where people sort of do what God says, but then add their little own spice on it. Sure. And it doesn't go well. One of the, one of the things that uh, I, I heard ref- in reference to this particular story, feeling super harsh, Abraham is asked by God to to go to a place where it's going to be Look, I, I want you to get up. I want you to take your family and I want you to go. And he does a little spin on it. He takes a lot with him, his nephew. That wasn't in God's instruction. Mm. When he takes a lot with him, things don't go great. There's all sorts of stuff that happens when we choose to put our own spin on stuff. Yeah. You know, and we see it repeated over and over again, not only in the history that we read in the Bible, but in our own lives. It's not his best. And so there's this hey, you know what, guys? That's not what I told you to do. And you're not going to go into the promised land because you didn't have faith in what I was saying to do. I can't imagine after that long and leading those complaining people and not getting to go in. But I do know with a lot of things in the Bible that whether it's hard questions for Christians or it's, you know, uh, just a, a field of play for atheists, where 
Well, look at a situation like this. Yeah. And I recognize the situations uh, in current day where you hear a little situation at work or with the other side of the family or whatever. And you hear it in this quick little narrative mm -hmm. of this happened, this happened. Can you believe she did this? Yeah. And then when you actually talk to the person or somebody even closer to the situation, oh, well, yeah, she did that because blah, 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 blah. Right. And you're like, oh, oh. I do that all <laughs> the time. <clears throat> and so to sit here and look at some of these stories and yeah. go, well, that doesn't seem very fair. I had to have all the information. Like yeah. I wasn't even there. Yeah. yeah. God's got insight that we can't imagine because he knows the thoughts yes. before they appear in your brain. And there's that part of it. But I think even if I was one of the Israelites, potentially I'd have the information to go, Maybe. oh yeah, it makes sense. Cause, cause Moses, but yes, you add that on top of it. Yeah. that God knows the heart and there's so much information. I don't uh, have. This is what he says. You didn't have faith and you didn't believe in me. Yeah. Well, what are you talking about? Is that in that moment with the rock or was there something else going on that we didn't know about? Yeah. And yeah. so I feel like especially as revered as Moses is as it, the figure, this figure in Hebrew culture and in our Christian faith, too. Um, th this guy didn't it wasn't excused behavior for him either. Right. So if even Moses, who's the guy who got hands the laws over to can't abide by all of them perfectly, then where does our hope, where where can it be for anybody? Yeah. And that's where we have this incredible, oh, that's right. Because at the very beginning in Genesis, we read about a hope that's going to come. We know that God has a, uh, he's got a game plan from the very beginning that there will be one that can crush the serpent's head under his heel. And we know that Jesus is the only answer. He's the only one who was able to keep it all and fulfill it for us. Yeah. Even Moses, the one who came off Mount Sinai, which, by the way, they were camped out there for like a, I think it was like a year. <laughs> they were camped at just Mount Sinai. So, I mean, I understand. I roll my eyes when I hear the complaining of the Israelites over and over again in Scripture. But we're talking a 40-year span. And it's just like, sure. Sure. we're going to this place again? We're going, we're staying here for a while? So we're just... Well, it says even, it says, now I don't know if it actually happened this way, but whenever the cloud was over the tabernacle, it, that's where they camped and that's where they stayed. The moment it leaves, they pack up. What if it was like an hour? <laughs> what if God had fun like every once in a while? It's like after they unpack everything and there was a routine to uh, setting up the framework, putting up the all the tapestries and everything that they did yeah. setting things up and you had to be very careful with it there was an order to it and there were only certain things you could touch otherwise you would die they set it all up and god's like you know what i need you to learn today's the day we're going to learn obedience you sound like some of my uh high school baseball coaches <laughs> no i don't know if god did that but yeah but that's i kind of think it would be yeah. fun to i'm gonna ask him one day I'll yeah. be sitting up there. Hey, Lord, like did that? you ever do this? Yeah. And Moses is like, let me tell you what yeah. he did one day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, there is uh, an aspect from that that uh, I was reading in the, the book of Matthew. It was uh, Jesus having the Sermon on the Mount. Mm -hmm. And it's just like a friend and I were like, hey, let's go over this and, and see some of the words of Jesus. It's always nice to you know, hear from him, hear from the source. And this part that I'm sure you've heard before in Matthew 5 it said, God blesses, uh, it says, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, mm. poor in spirit, 
for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. We just have a little tab right there. Just dog ear that verse right there. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. And God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And in each one of those, there, I kind of noticed one doesn't fit with the others. Mm-hmm. That they're all kind of proactive. Okay. They're all kind of if you do this, yeah. Or if your heart is good in this way, yeah. Then you will get this, yeah. And I kind of looked at God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted, and that's nice. But that it's a little different. It's different. It's okay. Anybody can go through tragedy, and you can be a terrible person and go that's through tragedy. Fascinating, yeah. And I, I read this from Got Questions. It's a great website if you ever have a question. It's just a bunch of, you can search about anything and they have questions on the uh, on the Bible. But uh, the term mourn mm-hmm. means to experience deep grief. And in keeping with his theme of spiritual blessedness, Jesus seems to indicate that this mourning is due to grief over sin. Mm. The people who agree with God about the evil of their own hearts can attain an enviable state of blessedness due to the comfort they receive from communion with mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit. Jesus called the Holy Spirit the comforter. Yeah. And the Spirit comforts those who are honest about their own sin and humble enough to ask for forgiveness and healing. Those who hide their sin or try to justify it before God can never know the comfort that comes from a pure heart, mm-hmm. as Jesus talks about a little bit later in that chapter, a little bit later in one of those verses I named, actually. And I had never That's so good. I, it's such a great commentary on that because yeah. it's it's not super clear, but you would think in the context of this, all whatever of them are are proactive, are something that we should um, admire, should adhere to, should try. We should thirst for justice. Uh, we should be humble. We should be patient. We should be peacemakers. And that one was just a little different. But when you look at it as morning sin, much like I'm sure Moses did. Mm it turns into something different and it turns into me recognizing uh, I am, we, we talked about this at, with Darren last week on, mm-hmm. on the, uh, the, the podcast with the, we are messengers of what is poor in spirit. Well, mm-hmm. it's the, the bankruptcy recognize that I am bankrupt before God. I have nothing good to offer spiritually mm-hmm. that I am fully dependent on him. And that's kind of another angle of, of looking and, t- and having a contrite heart mm-hmm. and, and not, uh, wallowing in grief over things that he's already forgiven, but still taking the sin seriously when I just committed it mm-hmm. and, and not, uh, what's that song we play, uh, on our radio station. Um, <clears throat> in fact, I can just play a clip of it, but it's uh, we, the kingdom, I don't want to abuse your grace. And, uh, let me see if I can find it. Abuse your grace. But, uh, but Lord, I need it every day. Is that how it goes? I need it every day. This is yes, holy water, the right? The only the thing that, yeah, here it is. It's right in here. Ever. God, I need it every day. It's the only thing that ever really makes me want to change. Oh, I like that. Yeah. I don't want to abuse your grace. And that, that goes along with the theme of should we sin all the more so that grace can abound more? <laughs> no. No. Uh, so we live in freedom and forgiveness, but we do take sin seriously. Yeah. I, You know... 
the sacrifice part of you read a lot about that in Leviticus and Numbers. There is a very lengthy section of our Old Testament that is dedicated to here are the rules. Right. Here's the way it's going to be done. And part of you is like, why so many? There, and there is a reason why so many. I, there was a lot of culture, a lot of civilization around them that practiced sacrifice. In fact, Balaam is something, somebody I read about today. And these guys, they're pagan. They're not, the people that are sacrificing in this particular section of scripture are not sacrificing to who we would say is the Lord our God, I, I am sure. But um, it was a practice that took place and God was like, you know what, we're going to do things a little differently. And this is the way we're going to do it. And there's life in the blood and it's very precious. And in fact, we're going to use it to symbolize uh, the atonement, the covering that is needed. Because perhaps people weren't taking grieving process. They, they weren't going through a grieving stage of, of understanding what sin really is. Mm-hmm. And so trying to bring some sort of symbolic heaviness. But then I think there's also the, the people who truly were seeking God and really did want to know who is the father who is this God that I'm serving who I know is great and all powerful and omniscient and I'm frightened of him but at the same time I love him because he takes care of me and so they're dealing with did I do this right did I do it good enough and so mourning I I don't know I I love the word comfort and I oh. think we're intended to Jesus is basically saying I've got something that is going to make this better and you have to receive it. Mm-hmm. And whatever you're mourning, <laughs> whatever you're grieving, um, the Holy Spirit is the the answer that can help kind of explain this. And um, it's, yeah, it's complicated. There's so many different ways that we all deal with our wrongdoing. Some yeah. of it's in denial. No, yeah. it's their fault, pointing fingers at the end of the day. I think Jesus basically making the statement, no, the need is there to mourn. The need is there to recognize, to put the mirror in front of your face, but not for you to feel guilty about. Sure. For you to recognize that there, the when you finally acknowledge that you have sinned, that there is, um, after your repentance, the opportunity for redemption through Jesus and the Holy Spirit fixes that. I, I think with all of us, though, we as individuals will guilt trip ourselves, but we as a culture, especially taking cues from just mainstream culture, sure. along with the well-meaning intention, I think, of years of Christian authors and pastors saying, you know, don't guilt trip yourself. And there's some truth to that. But now culturally, I think we just don't take sin seriously. Mm. Yeah. And because, I mean, at least we don't on social media. I mean, there's so much bitterness, uh, you know, sexual morality. I mean, there's there's everything out there. And I think, you know, it's kind of like even... Well, we see sin in other people, but not in us. And, well, and that's true. And but we wouldn't necessarily even call it that. We'd be like, that guy's wrong. No, I, I think that's true. And it's, and we don't see what we're doing ourselves. But right. even as collectively as a that's society... That's what I mean, collectively. Yeah, the, but there's like, like, you take even the rating system of movies, you know, and what would have made something an R-rated movie in 1950. Yeah is way different. It's probably a G-rated movie now or close to it. 
you know, PG-13 probably, but yeah. I think some of those, I think you'd be surprised. Actually, sometimes I look back at ratings, I think, oh my gosh, this should have been X-rated. Well, and yeah, and then there, there's... The ratings are all over the place. They've been kind of bonkers, but I get your point. It, it seems like there's there's more and more that because there's just exceptions everywhere that it's mm-hmm. like, well, okay, that's okay too. Yeah, well, I yeah. guess if you mean it like this, then I guess it's fine, you know. Yeah. And, and so we just don't seem to take it seriously. Yeah. And, uh, and so I think that's just a, a very good reminder. Um, there's something I want to share that I wrote for um, our staff here. Uh, we are uh, kind of merging with a different company, and there's going to be a lot of new faces here. Nothing's going to change, by the way. We're still going to do this podcast. It's going to be great. But there's going to be a lot of new faces. Sure. Um, but I think this is good for, for each of us when it comes to just interactions with people. I can't wait. This is uh, what I'm going to say to our staff eventually. Uh, have you heard of taking a Bible verse out of context? Um, it's it's taken a, taking a nice-looking Bible verse and applying my interpretation to it. Uh, one popular one is Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Very, it's very nice. Yes. But see, the previous verse is, For thus says the Lord... When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fill you to my promise and bring you back to this place. That's Jeremiah 29, 10. Now, this is what I, I said with Darren last week. Does that sound like it's for your nephew Dylan's karate tournament? Uh, it's probably not. Not in the way that we, we mean it often. Instead, we acknowledge that promises in the Old Testament, the promises weren't for you and me. But we look at principles, we can learn that God does have an eternal plan for us, one that we will prosper after this life. And that's why it's better to read the whole chapters. It forces us to read everything in context. It's kind of the difference in, in watching a whole movie or seeing one clip on TikTok and you think you know what the whole thing's about now. Yeah. Oh yeah, I get that movie now. Yeah. How much have you seen? Ah, oh, 30 seconds. Doesn't really work. So this is, I, I think, an utmost in, in, important lesson for us. Uh, but I also want to bring it up because if we're not careful, we do the same thing to each other because I have the extraordinary ability to take one interaction with someone, one email from someone that I think has a tone and assign my meaning to it. And yet much like scripture, the only right interpretation is the one that the author is trying to convey. So here's another example from scripture, James two twenty six. for as the body apart from the spirit is dead so also faith apart from works is dead. Now, at one glance, it sure sounds like we need to do some things to make it to heaven. And yet with knowing the fullness of scripture, you know that these works are simply the proof of genuine faith and faith is what makes us right with God. So my suggestion is that we invest in each other's lives, that we make sure we have enough interactions with our coworkers or neighbors or friends that we're able to assess them with the totality of interactions, not one seemingly passive-aggressive email. And sure, it mo- more than likely, at least with coworkers, won't involve hanging out after work regularly, not always, but maybe it turns into lunch. Maybe it helps me have more of an understanding. And our old boss, you're going to be able to speak to this, actually, Rochelle, our old boss is named Troy. He is the most dry person ever <laughs> when it comes to emails. Mm-hmm. And yet in person, he was so gracious and compassionate. And I know somebody, it was you, that used to think Troy hated them. Oh, my word. He hates me. And I didn't know him. Yeah, I just had the email correspondence. But but this person, Rochelle, took the time to get to know him. And what do you know? What do you think of him now? Oh, he's amazing. Amazing. 
or like somebody like me, uh, with my schedule is what I'm going to say my schedule, I'm never available for lunch. And that's true. Uh, somebody might think of me, he's never available for lunch. No, that's just true. But hopefully instead of thinking I'm a flake, which I would understand, but you see that I was here at four 30 and my only chance at a nap is before my son wakes up in the early afternoon. So let us answer the call of first Peter three, eight, which I'm pretty sure I'm using in context. Finally, all of you should be of one mind, sympathize with each other, love each other as brothers and sisters, be tenderhearted and keep a humble attitude. I love that. I think um, we've shared this before from cover to cover. The Bible is context. Mm. And unless we get through the stories and we start to see how things correspond like a bronze snake on a cross to the son of man who's lifted up. Yeah. You're not going to see the subtle or overwhelming consistencies that make the Bible truly the greatest book that's ever been written. Well, thank you for your time. This has been the Anything But Quiet Time podcast. We will be back next week looking ahead more towards Easter. And again, everything you want to find on any subject, hopeondemand.com. <laughs>